Welcome to The Resilient Responder, the podcast where we explore stories of strength, courage, and unwavering resilience in the face of life's challenges as told by first responders. Join us now on a journey of inspiration and empowerment as we dive in with Dylan, Josh, and Patrick. Episode of The Resilient Responder hosted by Scars Incorporated and sponsored by First Responder Coaching. As you can tell, we are not in the barn. He's not happy about that. Not happy at all. Um, he's not happy at all. He's very upset. He had we've, to drive. Uh, had to drive somewhere. We've listened to it since 5 o'clock this evening uh, <laughs> that we're not at the barn. Um, we are in uh, Westover, West Virginia, just outside of Morgantown at the VFW, thanks to uh, Jason Morgan. Uh, you will remember Jason. He was on uh, the episode two, episode two, two I believe, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. of the Resilient Responder. Um, as he joined us and shared his story with us, and uh, he was gracious enough to open up the uh, uh, the doors of the BFW. We also have a little bit of a crowd here with us. Uh, we've got about uh, I don't know, 12, 13 people here. Uh, we've had some people kind of come and go throughout the evening. So thank you to everybody who uh, who joined in. Uh, quick shout out, First Responder Coaching. Uh, thank you guys uh, yet again for allowing us to continue your mission as the uh, resilient responder. Has um, there been any any significant news? Um, significant news out of out of the uh, stable of uh, FRC is, along with Bat- Battalion One Consulting, and along with us, we were. Uh, uh, working on the project with Upshur County, which I believe is nearing a finish line, where um, in our local area here, Upshur County, Randolph County, Lewis County, they're getting some funding together to start a regional um, training. So we're looking at really from start to completion about two years worth of work by the time we go through, or by the time Battalion One goes through everybody's policies, procedures, comes up with regional protocol. Training takes place, um, you know, talking with Chief Kimball there in Buchanan, they're talking about 100 um, coaches on the street in the, in the time span of the next couple years. So we're in some negotiations to see if we can't get some, some of those spots opened up to, to some of our folks as well to kind of make our uh, footprint a little bigger so it's not just in those three counties but also uh, being able to cover more of north central West Virginia and surrounding agencies as well. So as we continue... Get, and we're getting ready to start our class. Yes. Our class yes. should be upcoming within... Uh, Thursdays, yeah, I believe. Thursday, yeah. Thursdays, if, yeah. Uh, if you'd ever respond to the email. Right. Well, thir- <laughs> Thursdays sometimes aren't the best. Wait a second. Was he looking at me or you? I, I was looking know. at... Did you respond? I, 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 I responded. I hit reply at all. Did you? I did. <laughs> I'm behind. It'll be all right. Well, that will be a... Uh, I know that the three of us are really excited about diving in. Oh, absolutely. And getting that content under our belt and, and you know, going out from there. Uh, yeah. This is, uh, this is why SCARS was invented and uh, being able to... Uh, uh, have the cohesiveness between us and first responder coaching to be not only to be able to do the uh, podcast, but to also get the training and be able to be a, a, a coach out on the streets is is definitely what uh, what we're here for. Yes, yeah, just another milestone. Honestly, you know, it, it, this has picked up steam in the past six months, and uh, we're not letting off the gas, man. We're we're out here trying to get it done. Patrick, uh, we're buffering. We're That's buffering. Yeah. yeah. We're, We're buffering going, and uh, we'll uh, pick that thing up off the floor. And I'm getting see messages it. that we're buffering. Well, this thing's traumatized, YouTube. 
Facebook does not play well with us sometimes, and I don't know why. I just thought maybe the we'll try it there. Okay. Uh, if nothing else, if what what we'll do is uh, with the with the stream, uh, there are times to where we record the local file directly to uh, the iPad and we can uh, take down the original post and post the real thing. So if, if it's buffering, try YouTube. If it's still not working, I apologize. The video will be up within two hours uh, after the show. Uh, hopefully with YouTube or with Facebook being our largest platform that we have our, most of our followers on, yeah. hopefully it will resolve itself. Did something happened to your vision since the last show? We're in a brighter environment. You got those grandpa glasses. No, well, they're not. No, he looks smarter. It's re He's intelligent. It's reading glasses. I'm intelligent. Yeah. Well, not we na now read. you are. You weren't a second ago, but now you are. So, now you're not. Oh. Wow. <laughs> okay. Anywho. So one of the things that works, um, I don't want to be intelligent. Um, one of the things that, that was, was easy enough. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that we posted throughout the week was a uh, a snapshot of a text message. Uh, it circulated around on some of the uh, social media platforms, and uh, it talked about um, it, it was a, a conversation between. I don't obviously know who it was. But it was talking about uh, basically, hey, can I can I vent to you? Can I talk to you? Um, do you have a, do you have that where you can throw I, it up? I, don't, I couldn't get the picture to upload to my okay. iPad. Um, I'll try to get it here in just a second. But now, did a, that come from somewhere else, or I just found it. You just uh, found uh, it. Okay. I was circulating through. So we did not stage that. Okay. Yeah, no. It says right. it says, "Hey, hey, you okay? No, can I rant? Tell me I'm listening." And and how simple? I mean, it's so simple. Can, but can but, I rant? Yeah, you know, that's a. And it's, I think it speaks volumes of what we have and, and what we're about. Sure. I think a lot of it, though, is not only the, the ranting part, but it's the being able to have the conversation. Like, what's the, what's the starter for the conversation? And the three of us obviously have a, a very good friendship forge to where we can just pick up the phone and either call or text and you know with our even with our group chat we, we mm -hmm. do a check-in every so often just to make yeah. sure that everybody's doing okay but well, at what point in time does it take for you to be able to pull that trigger for, for you to be able to to muster up the 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 strength to be able to admit that you're not okay and reach out for it and that that is that that is one of the most concerning things when it comes down to it because not everybody's going to do that not everybody's going to pick up the phone mm -hmm. and text somebody or reach out to somebody or, um, uh, you know, uh, like when, when Matt joined us and we talked about, you know, he talked about he can always, you know, he can tell if there's somebody on his fire station that's off. Mm -hmm. We don't always have that ability. No, we don't. And, and you know, and EMS is, is the same way. And we got into a discussion earlier um, amongst a few of the, the folks that are here about, um, you know, how do you recognize those signs, you know, if they're not willing to say, can I rant or is there a problem? You know, you may be sitting next to somebody in an ambulance and a fire apparatus, whatever, and this person may be driving for you and they're having the worst day of their life and they're holding it all in. You miss, uh, missed a sign or didn't recognize a, a, an, an offhanded comment or so on and so forth. But, you know, that person has your life in, in their hand as well. One, one of the things that, that I think the most about is it's easy for me in, in the calm, cool, collective mindset to be able to say, hey, if I, if I have a problem, I'm going to reach out to you and say, hey, brother, we need to talk. Mm -hmm. 
or hey Patrick, you you around? I I need to I need to vent. But where's our mindset at when we're when we're in the trenches? Exactly. Where right. are we then? Is it is it as second nature as what we want it to be? Is it to a point of of picking that phone up? And I think that's where we run into the issues and run into the problems of being able to that oh shit moment to be able to say, I'm gonna say it. Who's my man? And, no, and there's that. 35 yeah. cents we yeah. have to pay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to pay. The, the, yeah. it's, it's worth he's it. Yeah, it's he, worth he it. Will. Oh, he's on there. I seen him. And and I want people to do the shout out and tell us where you're where you're from and and where, what you're doing. Um, uh, I I especially if you're new, I think it's it's awesome to be able to see how many people that we're reaching out to. But more importantly, how do you how do you get second nature? How do you while you're in the trenches? where your mind is, how do you plant that seed to be able to pull yourself out of it? But there's a difference too, and I want to go back to where where we're talking about. And I hate to I hate to form it, formulate it like this, but let's let's talk about paid departments and, and career agencies versus volunteers. You know, you may have a volunteer firefighter who is in the trenches that nobody knows about, the alarm goes off, he or she's the first one in the station just behind the driver's seat, and by going away that call, it's it it clicks in their mind that, that you know, that it yeah. I, I that, that those demons take over and you've got four or five other guys, girls on the truck with you, you know, what then? Yeah. You know, because those folks don't readily have somebody to reach out to. They and they may not. Yeah. You know, the 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 service has gotten very um, separated to where there's not the there's not the togetherness in the stations as often as there used to be, and there's not the recognition of each other's personal problems or career problems or relationship problems, so on and so forth. So you know, bell goes off, everybody shows up to the station, and you could be walking into catastrophe without even knowing it before you ever get to the incident scene. But it's not only I mean take. Take law enforcement, for example, and Jason, I'm going to put you on the spot. How often, I mean, it, and unless you have, unless you're either on FTO or if you're, if you are an FTO, you're in a police car by yourself. Yes. Is that, is that, is that a consistent thing? I mean, I've, I've seen before where deputies or, or troopers or whatever, I see where there might be two in a vehicle, but that's not a common thing. No. So. That I know, not in, in Montague County, it's absolutely not. I don't know how about around the state. I mean, it's other places in the state, but not in Montana, it's not. So take that. Mm -hmm. I mean, take the if you're if you're having a battle of, of of an internal thought demon, whatever we want to call it, and imagine being in a vehicle by yourself, right? And having to and and you're patrolling the county. I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing, and all you're doing is running all this to your head constantly over and over again and if you do reach out to somebody to where you can have the conversation start the conversation then that's great but what if you don't right yeah and there's some pretty remote parts of every county across this state and many others that you know you're lucky to have radio or cell service in some places you know if your mind goes dark in one of those areas who knows what could happen mm -hmm. you know and that's Again, that's that's what that's the bridge that we're trying to, to
to form here across that valley of even even with the point and, and I know I interrupted you but even at that's the point of normal, I know I know I know <laughs> let me get it out I won't forget okay um that's why we have paper you know, you're the only one that never brings a notebook because uh, it's all right here oh god if <laughs> if we're rolling in I have a trigger point. I know that we've talked about trigger points in so many episodes, but if I have if I have a moment to where you and I've been doing this our whole lives together, yeah. and and if something hits me at that right time or wrong time, and and I I'm like, man, I don't even feel comfortable reaching out to you because you're going. I know you're going to laugh at me because it's goofy in my mind. It's like I can't even. Sure. I, I can't even. Roll with it. Be I, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed that, that to was say just, it. That was just said on YouTube. Most are embarrassed or feel like a burden. And, and I think that that is a lot of the stuff. I think that's mm. a lot of it. I do. I really do. Because there's, I mean, there's just little calls where you're just, you, you see something in in traumatic event and you're like, what, what the hell did I just see? And then you, you reach out to talk to someone, especially, you know, because your EMS world's way different than my EMS because I just drove people places. I did not even. I didn't, didn't even care to didn't get Didn't even out. do that well. But that's, yeah, you know. I know, right? Um, but I, I got <laughs> into it for the fire side. And, but and the fire side's the same way. I can it remember is, going into it is, into, but it's different with the, no, the traumatic part of it. There is, but yeah, but it's still the same. I mean, I can go into a house now. You know, if 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 we we packed up together, went into a burning building right we now. Can, Take that oxygen down. We take that water. Well, that's quick. beside. Yeah, yeah. We're a little, <laughs> we we have what doctors call a little bit of weight problem. But um, thirty minute bottle with ten Yeah, <laughs> but there's still things in that. You know that we run across a, a, a specific type of baby doll or or a toy. That's right. Or something, and it triggers something that maybe when I come out, I'm a different person than when I am when I went in yeah. there. Yeah. You know, and that, that's that's years of trauma. Yeah. That's years of you know, scooping the bodies off the floor, and that's just, that's where we are. Yeah, but if you look at it, how do you, how do you bridge that gap? And, and I think Ben and Matt and Marshana all set up very well, is that we are the answer for everybody. When somebody calls 911, police, fire, EMS, mm -hmm. whatever it may be, we're the answer. We're the ones that show up, we're the ones that fix the problems, and we're the ones that, that deals with it. But where's our 911? And I think that all three of those comments basically say the exact same thing because we feel as if we're going to burden somebody. I know that I know if I reach out to you guys that I can that we can have the chat. We've had the chats before, mm -hmm. um, you know, off off camera of you know today's not a good day or, or something along those lines. But when like where do how do we bridge that gap? Where's where does the gap bridge to where we can say? You know, if you're like if you're you're never a damn burden, and I don't know where we got that in our heads as to where we thought it was. We we even mustered that thought. Well, we got I think it. It's self-inflicted. Well, I, I think it's yeah. it's something that just in our own minds that that we don't want to be that burden. And Louis Louis made yeah, a comment. Did. Uh, yeah, did you see it? Yeah. Um, our wives, significant others, and families take the brunt of it and may not know how to deal with it. That that's one hundred and ten percent correct. But you know, we was, we we were talking to um, Porter earlier, and we were talking about that significant other, and if they were also, you know, you're a medic, 
Mm-hmm. Kim is is a RN. Animatic. Animatic. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're you're both first responders, and how do you how do you bring that home? If if you know that Kim's having a crappy day, do you want to go and and you had a crappy day and you want to share your crap on her? She works at Ruby. Every day's crappy. So that's why you call me. <laughs> right, yeah. That's why. <laughs> oh, damn. Our views are not our views. Do not directly reflect. <laughs> oh. Thanks for joining us, everybody. It was a great episode. Yeah, great, great. We will never be doing it again. <laughs> episode four is our last. <laughs> WVU just sued us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not because of that. But, but, okay, so expand on that. That is actually a good one. It's not because of the hospital. It's because of the same crap that we deal with day, day in, day out. It's, it's, it's the, people it's now. The, it's the compassion fatigue. Yes. It, it's exactly what well, it is. No, you don't it, have the ability to care for there, people. There's like more than do. that, though. There's more than that. It's there's the, not only compassion fatigue, but there's also patient fatigue. And, I, and, and patient <laughs> fatigue or customer fatigue, whatever you want to call it, is the other point of that. Because a lot of our burnout in EMS, law enforcement, nursing, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it, you're, is that same gone. person that calls over and over and over. Can you or that, or you that patient that complains, don't put my IV there, nobody can stick me there. Or the one that's called for the fourth time because they want to go get detoxed and they beat you back to the liquor store after your shift. Those are the ones, that's the mental fatigue that, that your patients and your customer service part bring out of you. So go. So I just had him to bring up Taylor's post. I'm not there. And if, and if you'll remember, whenever whenever we initially shared Taylor's story mm-hmm. and we talked about it, it goes into saying, and it, and I know this is EMS, but it will go for EMS, fire, law enforcement, nursing, 911. It it's the same repetitive calls, and it's not EMS 20 years ago. Whenever you and I started in this. It, it wasn't, it's not the, you know, it, it's the It's the compassion fatigue, it's the patient fatigue, you're right, but it's the, it's, it's, it is, it's, when, it it, it's when you get turned for the, when you get turned for the, um, the unresponsive patient, possible overdose, and you're going through in your mind and you're starting naming people who it might be. The the second paragraph of Taylor Taylor's post is, this job has changed me. I'm no longer the compassionate, caring, happy person I was when I started, not without being medicated anyway. Well, that's the problem is is the fact that, and then we buried, the, then we just buried even more. Yeah. Because because we are medicated, and and God forbid we reach out then, because then we can't talk about it, because <laughs> so, we're so because we live in that stigma right. of having the the damn. But one point of it is though, you know, I was I was at the hospital the other night chatting and. Um, to know that the same patient that I was picking up when I first started in 2001 in a, in a particular county was still going to the same hospital for the same problem on the same days, it, that's, that's 20 years, 20 some years worth of the same patient coming in with the same complaint day after day after day. You can't tell me that on a provider side that that isn't part of mental fatigue. No, it's, it, it absolutely is. And that, that's not the argument, but it's the fact of, you know, we see it as we deal with it. And you can, you can laugh about the, uh, uh, about the medical command operators. We can call in and give a report and they'll tell us our patient's name sometimes. Well, sure. 
Uh, right? I mean, I mean, it's, but it, I mean, it, it's the fact of that is the stigma. That is how we, that, that's it's what we've done to live with this. And, but yet we still bury it way down deep inside. And if you're not okay with admitting it's okay, you're not going to reach out. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you refuse to, if, if anybody thinks that you're a burden, number one, stop. That's the first thing you should automatically right. throw up a big red stop sign. Because if you start having thoughts about self-harm, self-mutilation, anything, or, or if you just go into a deep, dark, depression, depressive hole, then there is, uh, obviously there was a change in attitude, there was a change in something, you need to reach out to somebody. And it's not that you're a burden, because there are three people and a room full of people in front of us, and everybody wave high. I just put you on camera. Wave high, everybody. <laughs> but that is how you... Uh, but that is what you do is, is you you reach out to these people. It's the people who care. The three of us up here, we've given you guys telephone numbers, email addresses. We want you to reach out to us. So because we don't want you to ever think that you're a person. So ask ask them what's compassion fatigue. What what does that mean to somebody out there? Somebody give me a definition of compassion fatigue. That was a question. I mean, kind of kind of like what you all were saying about the same patient because. Where you were talking, I, I actually sent a message out because four of us in this room dealt with the same person that would call two, three, four times a day. And it was always when you were busy. It was always for the same call. And they just, he ran you to, this person ran you to death. And at first, when you first started, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a chest pain call. And then you realize that it's, an everyday thing and you're just like okay I just I just did CPR on a 20 year old person because they were in a car wreck and now you're calling for this stupid shit. So at what point in time though do the people do the citizens the people that we care for the people that we are there to protect for law enforcement fire EMS whatever it may be the the ones that we're there to provide a service for do they have they don't know they know Hollywood EMS they they know what it's like on first watch or whatever yeah, yeah all, all these all these episodes like all these real life you know these not I won't say real life but these realistic whatever the hell they're called I mean it, that, that's what TV. they see. reality TV yeah, yeah. They, that's what they see that's they, a whole issue in but but yeah. but but, it, but from the but from the standpoint of taking it to, yeah. take take it one more no, 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 let, let her finish her thought I want to I want to hear she, where she's going. Huh? I won't look at you. Me too. I, I won't look at so, you. Part of me obviously understands the compassion fatigue, but then the other part of me is thinking about, you know, our patients, the people we protect, is they they don't know. They they aren't experiencing what we're experiencing, and I know we're always told like this is their emergency, but for some of them it really is. So it's like part of me, you know, feels like it's it's a multifaceted issue. Is the public doesn't know better. The public doesn't know the strain that they're causing on hospital systems, EMS systems, 911 systems, and it just it just it all cascades down. Do they care? I think a lot of them do, probably. It's a lot of them don't. Well, lack of education. Yeah, lack of education. So ignorance ignorance is a lack of knowledge. It's it's very simple. Of, oh, if I call an ambulance, I'll go immediately <laughs> to the <laughs> <laughs> every, every, every time we have to explain, that's one the case. Fifty people that think that—it's never true. <laughs> yeah, and but we have to explain to them: if you're vitally stable, 
You're going, going to the waiting room. If you're going in for a headache, <laughs> you're going in the waiting room. But the thing is, is there are counties in West Virginia, because I've worked at several different hospitals, and I worked at one hospital that has since went out of business and has reopened as another one, and when I worked in that emergency department, every patient that came by ambulance automatically went to a room. That's how their nursing staff was taught. So that was portrayed to the patients that I'm on ambulance, I can get to a room. So you get, that's where a lot of the education thing, and, and you have to educate these people and say no. Just because you called 911, you're, it's not a true emergency if it's been going on for eight months, two years, your whole lifetime. So it's all about educating the patients on, 911 has become a replacement for primary care. Also, and for urgent care. So you call 911 and you think you're going to get by ambulance or the room by ambulance, and I'm sitting there trying to explain to you that's not how it works. Well, now you think that I'm lazy. I just don't want to get you to the hospital. No, you can just you can go to a hospital and say I'm going to take you, but this is our protocols and this is what we're going to do, and we're going to take you to the triage area. And then that triage nurse, whoever's there, will make the decision. But just because you called 911 does not mean you automatically get a bed. And that was like whenever patients would come in and say, well, I called my doctor and they told me to come to the emergency room. I understand you called your physician, but your physician did not contact us and tell you that we, tell us that you were coming. So we're going to triage you according to our protocols and with, then we will handle it as we see fit. And and that's the thing, like their primary care doctor is required to tell them to call nine one one. But that's all you can say is we will give you a ride and it's up to the the hospital staff of which way you're gonna go. Mm -hmm. But this is our protocol, we will take you out <coughs> of this and you're gonna answer all the questions out there. So but I mean there were hospitals in this state where that did have that mentality of just because they somebody called nine one one they were automatically getting to a bed. So that is a lack of education. But it, but it also goes, you know, you take that one step further to say, not only did they do that, but they did it for the reason because the, because the administrators were jumping up and down because they're holding the wall. Well, there's That's that. The there, there's like, that. And how many of these agencies, and I'm sorry, this is an, an, a managerial and an administrative problem of you've picked up the same patient for the same complaint three or four times in a row and how many of us out there are being told oh well you go if you put them in your ambulance you go put an IV in so we can charge ALS well then that screws up the whole system because then really you can't take them to triage if you've put an IV in and you've done all this stuff so you know uh, so, so, this, so do we play into their mind game as well of ooh, I get I get this attention and, and some, of it, some of it is attention-seeking behavior. Uh, I'm gonna call an ambulance. They're gonna they're they're gonna rush here and they're gonna put an IV in me and give me some medication and. and I think it's half and half. I think a good percentage of population is genuinely uneducated, mm -hmm. and I think another half of the population is using it maliciously. So I and it, healthcare system as a whole, and that could be a multi-hour conversation, but. It, it, it all trickles down to the people in the field. Does the it? The ERs, the people in the hospital. But, it, but also look at it from the same sense of, you know, in, in the dispatch world, 
there are certain call types that trigger certain responses. Yes. Yeah. So you know, it, it could be the same. It could be right. the fifth chest pains of the day for the same patient, and you're getting a fire response. It could be a, a, yeah, a, a fifth drug overdose, and it's a full-blown cavalry because like you, you have law enforcement. Or you'll get sued. Or right. You'll get right. And then uh, there was a comment: Our hospital is so overwhelmed, we have had to take our IFT patients to the waiting room. So you, uh, if you if you think about it, where where this person's from is uh, Myrtle Beach area, and they have a bunch of freestanding hospitals, and they have one big hospital, if I understand it correctly. But they're taking patients from a freestanding hospital to the big hospital to, to the mothership. And going to the waiting room. And they're putting their IFT wow. pa the patients who are being transferred That's, to be admitted. That they're that, going to the waiting room. That seems like a violation of some sort, but. But, above my page, but right? then you take all of this <laughs> and you you put it into a, a 12 or an 8, 10, 12, or 24-hour day. Right. And then you clock out. And what's the – I've said it. Uh, I know I've said it multiple times. I've said it to, to staff members, everything else. We expect you to leave your job at work the minute you clocked out. Yeah. With no decompression time. Good luck no with that. Yeah, how the hell are you going to do that? And, and I think that, that was kind of going back to what initiated the conversation is, especially with multiple uh, first responders in the house. You know, you don't want you don't want to trouble others with your problems, whether they're in your house or buddies, because people have lives and they have their own issues, and you don't want to be that burden. And, and like what Patrick said earlier, we need to get over that. You know, be, be, be a burden. I want somebody to you're, be a burden. You're not being a burden. Yeah, because it I, think, but, like, but it, it's, it's self-imposed. Right. Yeah, and, if you feel like you are, then be one. Like, yeah, 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 absolutely, be one. I don't, I don't care. I accept, I accept all burdens. Um, but at the, at the same time, I think there's just there's something more to what we do and how we do it, especially as first responders. Um, how, how do we decompress? Because I can go home and I can decompress to Natalie and she's not a first responder. And she can, she can, she's hearing something for the first time. She's not sitting there going, yeah. She's not, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say, do you guys fall into a category, of, this is more for Dylan, because I don't think your wife's not. No, my yeah. wife was a first responder okay. for years. Uh, do they do they try to one up you? Do, does your spouse try oh, to one up you not. and say, well, "I ran a call like this and it and, and it, it it went this way"? I don't think it's a one up. I think it's a it, it's a compare. To me, it's a comparison to say, "I know how you feel, and the reason I do is because I did a similar situation, and then here was my situation." I don't think. I don't think that the so I take that in my to, mind as a one-up. Yeah. Well, and, and I get that. I can see where it is. <laughs> I can't help okay. it. But, but like Candace and I can have a conversation. And uh, about work, and we can we can share things. Candace is very much so just she's like, God bless her. She's a listener, mm -hmm. and she will she'll let me just vent and vent and vent and vent, and then at the end of it, she'll be like, "So we're good, thumbs up." <laughs> and I'm like, "God, I love you," because anybody else would be like, "All right, this is a, you, you complained about this for the stop." Just, yeah, but. I think it, a lot of it is the is, is the true venting. You're not looking. I'm not looking for an answer. I, exactly. And I think that that's where a lot of the stigma for the people who do listen is you just need to listen. You're not there to provide an answer. You're not going to fix the problem. That's right. You're going to hear the problem. And now you could probably give. You you could be like, well, okay, so I had a similar situation. This is how I dealt with it. It may or may not work for you. Mm -hmm. 
and you know you can try like you could try that route but that person just wants to vent they just, right. and if they want to yell kick scream whatever let them do it mm-hmm. and then and and be your be a candace and be like all right so we good because if not yell kick scream some more and then let's get to a point to where we can move forward that's right yeah see even though we do the 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 podcast and we're doing the coaching and all that i'm still a barrier I will tell you that straight out. She'll tell you that straight out. I'm a barrier. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it takes me a long time to process certain events and certain calls before I can even, and before I can A, relive them or B, talk about them. Mm-hmm. So it, um, to me, it's a very different kind of beast to deal with. You know, I am, I, I am not good at I'm good at listening to others. I am not worth a damn when it comes to, to talking about my own. Um, I will play it off as long as I can until it destroys me. Yeah. But the, but even the conversations that you and I have shared together, calls that we have ran together, and and even after the podcast when we when we sit around and just BS amongst the three of us, you know, you can there, there's a certain amount of processing time for everybody, sure. no matter the situation. And I think that, you know, some of us can process things quicker than others because we just want to go direct. We, we want to find the end result. That, that's all we want to do. We just want to. Okay, What's I the feel, answer? I feel this way because of this. Uh, yep. Because of this incident, how do I get to not feeling this way anymore? Whereas some people, and and I used to be one of those. Used to be one of those of. Okay, I feel this way because of this incident. How did I screw up? Mm-hmm. Because immediately I want to go to self-blame, but I think that that's a lot of I think that's a lot of people's oh, yeah. problems. I'm very self-destructive. A, because yes. they want to they want to blame themselves yes. first, and then that that prolongs the processing mm-hmm. period. Yep. And you know the um, Matt said, but how much information do we share to none of the responder spouse? There's a lot that mine has never heard because I don't want her to, I don't want her too much about the job. Where is the balance? And and I think that that's you know if you don't have a, a spouse that's in first responding like you like Natalie, you know that's a difficult conversation to have. Yeah. Because what we are saying in our heads, it's just another day, right? To Natalie, that could be like, holy crap, are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely, and I I think uh, just. Like what you're saying with Candace, you know, Natalie's always been a very good listener, and and she she's very intrigued because she doesn't know or understand it. So I think that's I think that's a huge deal. I I, I think that that's there's I think there's there's a lot of that this will I'm going to switch gears for a hot second because it's not only the fact of having your person, but it's also being able to swallow your own pride. And whenever I'm going to go off of Shane's comment, and thank you, Shane, because that takes a lot to, for somebody to say. It honestly does. Uh, Shane said, "Same here, Dylan. I've even boldface lied to Patrick when he's checked on me and said I was okay." Sure. I think that's a lot of it. Is how often do we pass each other in the station on the you know when we get back from a call or, or anything like that? And passing, uh, how often do we say, "Hey, you good?" And we keep walking. Yep. And not what the even. hell are you even thinking? Why are you walking away? Right. You asked him a damn question. Stop. Right. right. Hey, are you okay? And I'm yeah. going to sit there and I'm going to stare at you and be like, Yeah. You're going to answer what you don't realize. And, and I, Shane, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. I can go days without saying anything. 
I really can. And uh, and that's that's a major downfall, you know. And that that does nothing but well, but and that's, it, I it think, does nothing but ruin your own mental health. Well, one of the things with you though is you're uh, and it's days. It's possibly days after, but you know I. It's nothing for me to get a text message from you to say, hey, you you in town this week? I need a barn day. <laughs> Barn's always open. Right. And, uh, I've never gotten that text. You don't have a barn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, so it's, wow. so it's the build a barn. Yeah. <laughs> build, 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 build a barn. 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 I mean. Uh, at, at the end of the day, you got kitchen tables, you got parking lots, you got the post offices, which is an inside joke. Yes, yeah. Um, a lot of people but, don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know about it. But uh, right now, I have a barn, and that's where Scars has uh, been filmed at, and a lot of people, a lot of people come hang out, and it's good stuff. So, so how many people in here have the outlet, or, or can talk to somebody? Can you? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. I like sometimes. Well, depending on what it is. Depending exactly. on what it different is. Different things take different time to process for different people. And, I mean, there are things that I've dealt with that I still haven't talked about uh, 11 years later. But, yeah. I mean. It took me six months when Ruth's breakdown. Mm-hmm. I'm still not 100% okay, but. And everybody processes everything differently. Like. My brother and I were on the exact same call. Devastated me. I came home and I was like, he's eating a bologna sandwich. And I'm like, what, what did you think uh, you know, about such and such? And he's like, I don't know. I'm going to finish this sandwich and go to bed. I got to work tonight. I'm good. So, you know, we're two different people. You know, mm-hmm. like, he. But does that catch up with him at some point? Not that he ever showed it. Cameron, Ryan. <laughs> no. Not that he ever showed it. But I, I, Christina just made it. We internalized to continue doing this from call to call. And it's often just easier to continue internalizing after hours as well. And I think that, that, that honestly, by the end of a shift or by the end of a, of a pay cycle or whatever it may be, how I cannot. And, but I'm never, I'm not good at remembering things anyway, but how many of us can remember the call that we ran on, you know, the, the, the a week before? Huh. Because, because. Sometimes I can forget a call by the end of the shift, but then it comes back but, but eight I mean, months that, later. But, but that's the thing. Like, it, we may not know that it's bothering us at that point mm-hmm. in time. And, and that's why, I, I know that we preach the whole check-in thing, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't preach it, but I think that, a lot of the times is, are you checking in for the right reasons and are you doing it at the right time? If I just run a crap call, the last thing I want to hear somebody come to me and go, Hey man, you hey, okay? Hey man, you good? Right. Because I'm going to hit you. See, right. I'm exactly the same way. As I like to decompress, but by the time you're able to decompress, because at some agencies, it's back to back to back to back to back. Oh yeah, you don't even get your truck put later. back together and, and you're and going again. Like, and me personally, it's like, it's and it's nothing against my husband or my best friend, who I very easily could talk to. I'm just really bad about that. I'd rather take care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And my former partner, I don't know if he's, I mean, I degraded. I yeah. mean, mentally, physically, I became a terrible person <laughs> over the years. 
but like stuff like that, I think you know, we we're like we'll deal with this after work, and then it's like well shoot, I've got to go to sleep because I got to work again, and then it just builds up over years. And something else too, especially when I started out, you go into the industry into this career hearing leave it at work, and as a fresh EMT or a fresh medic or fresh whatever you're going into, you're like, okay, well, I'll, I'll just leave it at work then. And and that builds up. And it's like your sixth month as an EMT. And you've left it at work every day, or you've tried. And it's finally weighing you down. Well, I'm not doing something right. Because everyone else can leave it at work. Why can't I? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a revolving door. To suddenly you're the problem. But, it, but, it's also, but it's also the stigma of... You know, you and I are on an ambulance together, and after after three, four months, I can still carry this load, and you might be struggling with it, or vice versa. And who the hell in this room? I can tell you right now, I wouldn't. Who's going to stand up and be like, "Wait a second, he can he can shoulder this? I can't. Like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Like, there's an issue. It, and sometimes it it is that months down the line, and you're in in your own head, you're going, you know, Dylan's fine. Like. We've been on a truck together every day, and just like he's mm-hmm. fine, and you're like, oh, like, that's just Dylan. <laughs> or if you have left it at work for three yeah. years, that could be. Coined. And then you have that one call that, like you said earlier, Dylan, yeah, that brings it all back. Mm-hmm. It does. Great for three years. Yeah. That one thing triggers it, and now you're making yep. all this other stuff that you've therapy. buried so far down deep, and then one thing can bring that back to life, and be like, holy shit, that call three years ago bothered me. So. So a few things, I'm just reading comments. I, I see my, my brother just posted some. I haven't even read it yet. So first off, Jason, to your point, I agree 100%. It has to be the right person. Who do you, who, it's almost to a point of not only who do you look up to, but who do you respect? And, and just because you don't talk to that person doesn't mean that you don't respect them. But there are things that I can have conversations with you that I wouldn't have with other people just because of mine and your relationship. And I think that life is nothing but relationships. And if you hold, if you're that person that holds things in, then that kind of rolls me into Katie's comment of debriefing. Where I work at and what I do, debriefing is everything. How do you become better? The only way to get better is by talking about what you just did. in anything it doesn't have to be about mental health it can be just performance what what just happened how can we make it better what what did we just learn from it then try to teach it by teaching it and understanding it then we can really roll with it but debriefing it is i believe that first step of getting it off your chest and and literally but how quickly can you do how how quickly? People are different because of processing times. Right, mm-hmm. but, but that's the thing. If you look at it from a from a public, or for a first responder, public safety standpoint, so why what's, not? What's our normal? So there, let's so let's let's, let's change it up a little bit. What if? What if? I'm really excited to read my brother's comment. What if? It's actually good. You roll into the next your next shift, and and continue. The very first thing, everybody here is a first responder, so you roll into your very next shift after your debrief on your last one, you roll into it and the first thing you do is continuation of debriefing from the last shift. Does anybody have anything from the last last shift they want to talk about? To me, that's a continuation of debriefing. That allows people to debrief themselves and process something. 
but people don't want to talk about stuff because it's change and and they don't want to incorporate things because it's change and people don't like change so let's decompress in that next rotation and say hey does anybody have anything we want to talk about we had some shitty calls let's throw them out there and as leaders as leaders you have to be able to throw it out to a point of saying hey we had a shitty call let's so, so right out there go right into your brother's comment it says the problem on the 911 side of things is you take you may take three or four bad calls in a row and there is no time to decompress and you still have to sit there and answer calls for the rest of your shift and your head better be in the game. So that right there, there, there has to be a certain point of time to where you pull the red card, red flag, whatever the hell it is, and you say, whoa, I can't do this right now. But that's the problem because look at the, I mean, this, the state is in it, not only the state of West Virginia, the, the, the entire the United, yeah. you know, we're in an yeah. EMS crisis, yeah. Yeah. a staffing crisis that we've been in for three years now. And he's exactly right, is that nobody can wave their hand and, and say, listen, I can't do this next one. Patrick, I've had so many people come up to me and tell me that he's the black cat of Harrison County. Like, if it's a bad call, he's he's. Oh, you think? Man. And and it's it's not just one. It's like a just freaking rotating door mm-hmm. of but I, but bad I, calls. So I yeah, I can I, feel that. You and I wrote the same thing down. Did we? Yeah. Debrief versus just talking about it. You guys hot, want to check my notes? Hot wash. Ver- yeah, I'll check your. Yeah. <laughs> I got you did write the same. Thing. It's all fair, right? Hot, hot washes versus debriefs, right? You know, I can I can remember you know every fire that I was command of, hot wash. You know, and that could I've be never why heard that term. You never heard of hot wash. No. Hot wash is at the end of the call. You know, you're back at the station. You're cleaning your hose. You're cleaning your packs. Cleaning your gear. Whatever. Hey, you know what? What? What would we do right? What would we do wrong? Did anybody see anything? Can we improve on stuff? So on and so forth. And they're very informal. You know, they're a kitchen table chat. They're a, yeah. a chat while you're cleaning up. Very informal. But a lot of people haven't had enough time to process the entire event. So when does that debrief need to occur? So again, hot wash is right after the call, just to get any immediate concerns. Yeah. Oh well, you know, Wayne can't hit a hydrant, so we need to work on that. Believe me, that's one thing Wayne can do is hit a hydrant. He can't put an air pack on for shit. But, um, I've seen it. Yeah, he's the only guy I know who's back or putting an air pack on, smoking a cigarette. It's great. Comes now, up. now, Ian, on the other hand, he can hit anything you put in front of him. Oh, it, he really? can hit anything. He's uh, amazing. So. So then, I understand what a hot wash is, but I've never heard the term. Okay. And, and I 110% agree with a hot wash. I love it. I love the idea of it. But I think the debriefing and kind of the more talking to people, that debriefing needs to be a continuation. As leaders, leadership need, and, and we've talked about this so many times, leadership needs to understand their people. Leadership needs to understand their calls. To They need to be involved to be able to say, hey, we just had a shitty call last shift. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And and I think 24 hours or 48 hours, and some people are a lot, everybody's different, but a certain time frame of that processing would be able to assist to a point of saying, kind of like when we do our, our nonprofit uh, meetings, old business, new business, for the good of the organization. Everything's broke down in, in sections. That first briefing should be, Let's debrief from the last shift. Matt Let's said, talk about that. Matt said tailboard yeah, discussion. You can change administration. Right. So when 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 do you debrief? And so you know, what what time frame? Get, give me a number. What's your time frame to debrief? To, when, when do you think a debrief should be? For me, anywhere between twenty four to forty eight hours. Twenty four to forty eight. 
Who else? Every call. Huh? Every call. Well, I understand every call, but how long after what's, that call? What's the time process? No, I mean, I'm saying like after the call, I should be yes. Like, think about your perspective. Like, we're so hyper-fixing all the high-acuity, Or is it somebody just like our patients that learned how to use the system? And and Ian, just I, I feel like I feel like I I'm with you 100 percent because what you're describing is what they're calling a hot wash, yeah. and that's the same as what I would I would have said the exact same thing you said. They just coined a a, a, a word for it, hot wash. But I think a hot wash is completely different than a debriefing. Well, a debrief should it be, is. A debrief, you're truly diving into the details. You're dissecting the incident. You know who doesn't yeah. de debrief? This was brought to my attention not too long ago. I was having a conversation. And I want you to think about this. Now, you, you may not understand this, but... The, is this the a good time for me to go to the bathroom? No, I was always trying to say. <laughs> you can go stoke the fire. There ain't uh, a fire. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but I actually had an individual that I talked to that said, you know, I never got to debrief over a dialysis patient that I had for three years straight. Mm. And when that patient passed away, it affected me and my work on a personal level because they had built such a relationship. That it was like losing a family member. We never think to debrief on something like that. I would never. I'm Who would have thought to debrief on the patient that you've had steadily every suspicion. Monday, Wednesday, Friday for dialysis for the past two years? It's, it's unheard of, right? So there's where we change that stigma again of what needs debriefed. What are you holding in? What has affected you during your time in the, in the business? I, see, like, I love a, a little bit of what Josh was talking about, you know, Maybe we do have like a hot wash, but in the next shift, you know, because depending on what your shift is, you got about 24 hours. Mm -hmm. You come in and you talk to about it. The thing is that, you know, as well as I do, sometimes you walk in the door and you're right back out the door on the call. Mm -hmm. And make a little bit of time available at the beginning of your shift where you have that little bit of a overlap of where you can actually sit there and do that. Right. And oh, a couple places, I know kind of try to do something like that, but for the most part, in a lot of a lot of places that I know of locally, uh, a lot of the leadership is just so far disconnected from the actual job sure. itself that they don't remember that where they came from. Right. You have to schedule an appointment, special appointment to go in. I think I think a lot of it also revolves around the fact of not only the leader or the the leadership taking not only them taking the time to do it but at what point in time as an administrator and i'm not taking up for him i'm just asking a simple question at what point in time as an administrator do you have the ability to know to, to know when the bad calls happen you don't always sit there with a the radio on. You don't always sit there with a the scanner going. 
Well, person. then, well, then you're telling me that uh, you're. I'm not going to answer it. No, no, wait. I'll, go I'll go, go uh, you can go next. You, okay. you stepped away. Yeah. <laughs> your That's subordinates. No, your subordinates should be keeping you informed of this exactly. stuff if you're a, in that administrative role. And what we see is we see administrations who are too busy fighting amongst themselves to give two shits about what's going on out in the field world again. But it, but then the subordinates feel as if the so if you take from what you just said, the subordinates report back to whatever and say you know this is the this is the problem that, or this is you know basically a snapshot of my shift of, of how this has worked, mm -hmm. and then you know the people in the field. They don't want to go the next step up. Mm -hmm. They want to stop at the at the subordinate, the middle management, whatever whatever the title is going to be, the, the ship liaison, captain, whatever, um, supervisor. That like those people, I don't want to talk to you if you weren't there. Well, not only that, but why, I think that's I, why it's important not only for your direct supervisory staff, your your mid mid level management to also be involved in, in mental health awareness and coaching and things of that nature because they need to be able to see the signs. But you're right, but the upper administration needs to at least understand that there is a problem. You yeah. know, whether they yes. whether yes. they act on it or not, the problem is most administrators don't know that there's a problem within their agency. But there's also and I or think that this is care. this is or some do and don't care. This is profession wide. Mm -hmm. I think. And now there may be some there may be some fire EMS agencies that, that prove me wrong about this. But how about the training? How about the training that you should be giving your middle management staff to be able to see those huh. the, those uh, you know those telltale signs right. of when Josh walks in, he's five minutes late, this is the fourth time, he's never done this before since he's been since he's been working with you and he's five minutes late again and he looks at you and he goes, Ah, eh, it is what it is and just keeps walking. How many like with without That's a sign? It is a sign. Why are you late? Like, hey, what's up? Let's ha let's have a conversation. And then we pull and we have a conversation, and then it gets twisted to where it's no longer an issue. Now it's a problem. Like no, instead of says I cut you off because you cut me off all the time. I can't remember. Ah, dude, it. it's all up here. <laughs> Every bit of it. Um, ahead of her. You want my yeah, I think yeah. so. Years ago, I took a fire officer class, and I want to say that Rick Scott taught the class. And one thing that stuck with me is one person can af af effectively lead slash manage four to six people. Mm -hmm. And That's too fair. many times, too many times I feel like people get out of that realm, their own realm. If, if I'm an I'm a administrator, a senior manager, and you're the, the mid-level manager, how many times do I go around you to talk to people that work for you, and how many times do people from that work for you go around you to talk to me? Yes. And when you break chains of com command, I think that you're breaking the the model. Yeah, you destabilize everything. <clears throat> Absolutely. And and if you can build that pyramid of one person effectively and efficiently managing four to six people. Everything will fall in, in, into place. When people call me at work and, and they want to start asking me questions, the first, res the first response that I give back is, what your boss say? Well, I haven't called him yet. Well, call your boss. Call your boss. If he doesn't give you the answer that you're looking for, then call me back. But you need to call your boss because you, you have to engage into that. And, and I feel like there's a lot of stuff that could – I had problems – 
through through promotions that I would I I was it was important to me to, to have my feet on the ground mm-hmm. as and and lead from from the the forefront and I had to I had to slow down because I was taking I was taking uh, drive away from from my mid managers because I I ended up doing their job and if you do their job they're going to let you do your job and then they're going to be ineffective mm-hmm. and then that's you're putting more weight on your own shoulders and and I think that's but what it, if it you're not and what what if you're the mid level manager that's ineffective. Now where do you go? Because we see that a lot, you know. And there's time, fire and EMS is the world's worst about this. Sure. Oh well, I'm going to promote John Boy over here because he's got ten years in the business. He's he's bound to know what he's doing. Yeah. Well, John Boy's an idiot. But you report to John Boy, and John Boy never ran a fire scene, never you know ran an EMS call. Then you got to you you've got to complain. Now where do you go? So one of the things. You're my BFF, and I want to put you in a management position because I've known you for four years, and we're, we're like this. Yeah, Which and, and, and we see that. Yeah, we see that a lot. Um, one of the places it's popularity gone. It, it, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's that's one. Or how much you donate things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mo- might have money, that, popularity, two driving forces. Yep. One of the things that that I encourage, and and we actually do. Uh, where, where I where I work at, and and not everyone does it, but what we do on in this area is a 360 review, and a 360 review isn't what what it sounds like as far as your boss giving you a, a review of how you're doing. It's your subordinates telling you how you're doing, and it's it's tough. It's tough. See, that, that's a good and. And I feel as if that is one key part that's missing in public safety is because as much as, as important as it is for my boss to agree with my actions and be able for like to, to rate me however, mm-hmm. I think it's also important for the field staff to be able to do the same thing. I think thing. it's more important. So what kind of leader does that make you? Is that amazing? Oh, we ain't talking about me. <laughs> so, so that's part of servant leadership, right? Yeah, that, that's part of. Would be like, okay, if I give my honest and open opinion about my leadership, so that's. There, I'm getting fired. But but listen, but listen, but right listen. Here's honest to goodness. Here here's Nobody the thing. So I have I have 350 guys that work for me. I have five direct reports, yeah. and each of the five direct reports, three of them have five supervisors, six supervisors that work for them, and then. 350. When you start talking, one of the guys are on here that, that work for me, actually a couple of them, but when when I start rolling this out, one, it's it's a culture shock because you have to mentally prepare someone. So if you're that mid, if, if Dylan's that mid-level uh, supervisor and I'm like, hey, listen, you're about to hear some shit and it's going to be tough and it's going to be an ego check and you're going to have to take a lot of deep breaths and you're going to have to stay calm. And maybe even put some O2 on, and you know, it, you gotta, you gotta prepare them because it's tough. I never a, have high blood pressure about something like that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I think we're buffering again. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to <laughs> you have to be mentally prepared for it. And then that's that's step one. And then step two is is you have to go into the 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 guys, uh, the the subordinates, and say, hey, listen. Here's an opportunity. It's a great opportunity. It's a way to make a difference. I've got the gavel. Nothing's going to happen to you. This is about how we get better. Today we're good, but how do you get better? How do you get better than good? How do you get great? And and you guys have the key to it. All you have to do is speak. Evidently they just hang out with you. I know. That's right. That's exactly right. But Back to the but, popularity contest. But it... You have to you have to trust your leadership, and you have to build the team, and then once once that stuff starts rolling and you start putting stuff like this in, uh, hey, listen, we've saved jobs. I mean, guys were getting ready to get fired, and they didn't know they didn't know they were doing anything bad, until their their people started saying, hey, listen, you really suck. What? What do you mean I suck? You know what I mean? And then they get that high-pitched voice, and, and they get nervous, and then clammy and sweaty, and you're like, whoa, let's try this. And, and things start to roll, and yeah. it's, it's awesome. Yeah. We are Just at an hour. hour. That's hour crazy. That's awesome. From, uh, People quit comment online. Did they? No, uh, I haven't. They're, they're tired of it. you shut me off? It. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. No, it was your ego. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> my, my, uh, the switcher just came up and said your cloud's full. So it must have been your ego that got me. It's me. Uh-huh. Okay, you got to deflate that to get him uh, out of here. I'll be calling my Matt later. What, uh, what from the group? we got a few minutes. Open discussion. So on the hot watch, mm-hmm. sometimes you can't have those. Because uh, you come from a call, you're trying to get everything back together because you have to get to your job. Right. You've done it plenty of times. Plenty of times, yep. You go on a call, come back, mm-hmm. get everything back together, go home enough time to take care of your work. And I think from the, I think from the volunteer standpoint, that is a, a, a very... I think that's a big problem. It's a very unhealthy way because you're not even processing until sometimes 28 to 48 hours, 24 to 48 hours after the call because you don't have time to. Or so you're you processing may, you at may, work. Or yeah. you're at your, yeah, or you're at your, regular, you're at yeah, your yeah. regular job and processing process. and screws up your whole day. Or you've blocked it out while you're at your job and you've just buried it. And then, you know, it, it could be weeks, days, months later, yeah. something triggers it and brings it back to life again because you were never afforded the opportunity to start the process, and yeah, I think, and I think from the right. volunteer standpoint, that like, that's a huge disservice. You yeah, it is. You, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Especially I, to get everybody back. Yeah, in that group. Yeah, yeah. at best, it yeah, could be running. just who's in your apparatus. Yeah. You know, so that does that does create another issue, um, all of its own. So I think it's really from, important to try to from a law enforcement standpoint. Do you guys debrief? Is there a debrief after calls? Ever? Very, very, very rarely. If it involves another officer, there might be, and it's not even a debriefing. I mean, it, it, it might be you know, just a couple of guys talking about it, and after that, it's kind of done over. It's just washed away. Yep. And, it's, and then do you. you? I remember you talking about an officer involved shooting on our episode. 
Is there a debrief after that? We did. It was, uh, I want to say it was a couple days later. We did a debrief. Um, they've actually changed, like, like policy now. You have to have a little bit of time to decompress before you write a statement. You just kind of got everything going. Um, and then you get interviewed um, by the detectives. Then you go into the debrief, you watch body cam video, you try to critique different things. But as for, are you okay? No. I was just going to ask, it sounds like your debrief is purely work-related. It it's is. Not right. And, and that, that incident was literally, and I think I told you, was sent to a psychiatrist, asked two or three questions. Okay, you're good to go back to work. And that's just, all it seemed to be. Just check the boxes. We've got to get these guys back to work. Right, just check the boxes. Let's get them back to work. We've got to get them back to work because, you know, we're shorthanded. And, and, did, and did anybody during that time, did, did anybody on their, on their own accord or behalf, did they reach out to you and say, hey, you good? Are you okay? No. Maybe, maybe one of the secretaries, and she's one that's been there for years, um, over 20 years, and she's, she always takes it personal with the guys. If it's a minor fender bender, she's always reaching out, hey, are you okay? Are you, you know, is everything all right? And even those kind of calls, you know, a, a, an officer ball shooting or whatever it may be, <coughs> she would reach out personally to But I can assure you nobody else did. From a 911 perspective, do I have, are there any other 911 dispatchers other than Courtney and I? So from a 911 perspective, Anytime there was ever a call that could be deemed either A, a high priority call or B, a, a, a devastating call, was there ever, were you ever pulled off the console? No. Were you ever asked about no. it? Ever talked about no. it? Ever go through a no. debrief about it? <laughs> I, I was going to say, honestly, in the year and a half I spent in 911, I can tell you, I answered all those questions as no. By management administration, no. Now, from the wonderful captain that I had, yes. You know, those people in the room with you. But can you stop and take a break? No. Can you ask for a debrief formally? No. You can't even unplug and walk away. No. I mean, you could, yeah, for a few minutes if you need to. Right. Um, do, do you even have staff meetings? No. Can you request staff meetings? No. So, I mean, other counties and agencies are different, uh, but from my experience, no. And I've got family experience, and that's 100% yeah. right. We have uh, a, a very broken system here. Yeah. It is. And, and, I, and you, I, have, you have young people answering calls with pediatric cardiac arrest, and then your son calls, you cry. Yeah. You've got five minutes to step outside, take a smoke break, you know, go to the bathroom, and then get your butt back in. So what happens if you don't go back in? I mean, you're not going to have a job. So we've we've identified we've identified four different spokes of the wheel of public safety, and there's a there's a common there's a common denominator. Mm -hmm. We don't stop afterwards. Do Where's the hard you stop? Don't have a job. Right. There is no hey take a day, um, hey take take thirty minutes, take an hour, take you know take the rest of the shift. There, that's, there's no in between. It's either you stay and do your work or clock out and go home. So it's it's the hard 
it's the hard stop that needs to take place to be able to start the decompression. But then, so, my, but one of my fears would be, let's take a 911 operator, for example, and Jason, you can chime in on this as well. Take a 911 operator, for example, answers a pediatric cardiac arrest call, first one. Um, obviously, there's nothing you can do to, to prepare for that, in my mind. Um, you let them unplug for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and you kind of let them, de you let them decompress. And then, but then what do you do? Do you make them plug back in and keep going? Like, the, like there's got to be a, like that hard stop has to be a stop. It has to be like you, you, you unplug and you go home, but then I just sent somebody home to be by themselves. And hey, you get sent home. It's an infraction. You're now using your paid time off, which I mean, some people don't have the luxury of having paid time off. So now you're short of payday, and it's just a snowball. It is a snowball effect. And then think about a smaller dispatch center that may only have two dispatchers on at one or time. Or one. They're or one. That's what I'm saying. And it's the same with PD. You know, you may have counties that have two deputies working at nighttime. You may have an EMS agency that has one crew at nighttime. You know, yeah, you may have, uh, you know, freestanding, you know, freestanding ERs that have two nurses and a, and a, and a doc and, a, and an assistant or something at night. So, you know, what, where is their time? That should be illegal. You know. To run a, to run a 911 system. Uh, I understand it may be. center with one person on duty. But let's think about that. If you're in a, if you're in a rural county in whatever state you live in, your county population's 10 to 15,000 <laughs> and your numbers of your number of 911 calls at nighttime because you understand it is business as well that doesn't support paying two or three or four or whatever. Oh, no, I don't I'm not saying you, know, you should never like you should, should I, I, but, I, but I mean you should never drop below two. No. Because there's always because <laughs> what happens yeah, the numbers. Well, the the statistical data shows, and I get and that's that. where we've and, gotten. And I get that's that. where we've gotten lost in translation. Well, but it's also the only thing we have to go off of. I understand that. And and sometimes numbers shouldn't matter. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Is what should matter. There are a lot of agencies that are number one centers that have one person. Okay, so what if I have to go to the bathroom? I'm right. I wait for a deputy to drive two and a half hours to come relieve me and sit down and hopefully know how to do that job of that phone. Matt. I mean, it's a harder job on them. It's a harder job on that one person. Not to mention what they might answer. So that's why some 911 centers have a bathroom right there in, at, in yeah. the comm center. Matt, <laughs> yeah, a lot of 911 centers are jail 911 center combos. Yeah, right. And so yeah, not only are they answering and they're dealing with, you know, turds. So <laughs> we're heckling them or. <laughs> Matt said fire departments that have one guy on shift. I didn't think about that. Huh. You know, if you. You know, the it used to be, at least where where I started fire, it was you know your your there was an officer every night. They were the they were the duty officer, mm -hmm. and they would you know they would staff station till eleven, and then from eleven to seven they would run it they'd run a call, and you got to pick your duty night to hopefully coincide with your shift. But that's one person. Like like at what at what point in time does the, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir here, but at the same point in time of you know, the not only is it 
from a debriefing to an officer-involved shooting to a debriefing of a pediatric cardiac arrest that you received via a telephone, mm-hmm. then it's you know the debriefing of going and running the call, actually physically going to the call and running it, and all of the – they all have the same damn problem. Right. Like, like, what is – there's nothing broken. The brokenness is the fact that we can't come together. Well, and I mean, I can remember for years, Grafton, Grafton right. had uh, – and Moomolf, if he's still on there with us, can, can confirm this – they ran the one guy on a shift, and when that guy's ass hit the driver's seat, the truck left, and he prayed that somebody showed up to help him when he got there. You know how much? How much did that guy see? Oh, because we're all about the, the especially in the volunteer world, who can, who can crack doors the fastest. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, but I I will say that I've had a lot of of input from paid departments that said you know speed saves lives, right? You know. But if you're by yourself and all you can do is fling water at it, and you've got somebody you know hanging out of a second story window, and you show up with a fire truck full of water in yourself, what are you gonna do? Right, but I mean, even look at you know some of the paid fire departments around our area. You know, you may get an engine with two, three people on it. Yeah. You can't effectively do a job with no. two or three people. No. You can't. Like you, it's, it's you're not. you're destroying their mental health even faster because yeah. you're putting you're setting them up for failure in so that. many ways. It's not funny. Yep. This is going to be a good episode. Did Wayne yeah. just say speed can kill you? Speed. Like speed. Wayne Ross said that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're Wayne, gonna, the only person that I've ever... We try not to mention names. That, but, that's yeah. the only guy that I've ever managed. <laughs> Delete that comment if you would. The only guy, that I, the, the only guy I've ever managed that could total a vehicle that was out of gas. Yeah, was like, he, uh, yeah, he made a comment. He threw himself out. Go ahead. Until I sit down, have a couple days to process something, like for instance, one call that we ran that was traumatic arrest, that didn't go the right way. That didn't go our way. It wasn't until after that call I sat there and picked apart everything that I did wrong. And in my head, you know, I did a million things wrong. But it wasn't until I was able to sit down and look at the chart and have a couple days to process that information that I was able to fully put together the entire thing. And then I was ready to talk about it. And I feel like a lot of times you'll have a debrief right there and then that's more akin to a, uh, as you'd say, hot walk. And then uh, that's kind of it. And it's on to your field level captains and whatnot to uh, check in with you. I've been fortunate enough that my field level captains are very good about that. And to the point where, you know, if I'm not coming in talking my minute or saying something stupid, they'll immediately get on me about what's going on. But at the same time, there's probably a lot of people that don't realize that until you're able to take that step back, you know, that initial debrief isn't necessarily enough as much as the follow-up because you start to sit there and these little doubts creep in your head. You're like, well, I could have done this. I could have done that. Now, was that your first traumatic arrest or is it, have you had one prior to? Uh, it was my first where I was an actual in in a direct role with it. Okay. Well, I think, too, the hot wash versus the debrief, hot wash is camaraderie, and mm-hmm. my, my, my viewpoint. It's camaraderie. We're, work, we're working, we're putting things back together, you know, we're working together, we leave, we go away. In my opinion, a debrief should involve 
a professional mm -hmm. of some yep. psychological part mm -hmm. and the crew or whoever needs to be a part of it. If it needs to be the fire department, the sheriff's department, 911 center, everybody together to debrief on that call. Mm -hmm. But you need to have a professional yes. in that group. Yeah. Somebody to mitigate, basically. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, sure. I, mean, I understand what you're talking about with that call. Because, hey, I, went, I had a call that was similar to that and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't help you with your mm -hmm. debriefing. That right. means it helps you release it mm -hmm. and get it out yep. off, off your chest. But it doesn't give you extra coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So when you say professional, she's talking about me. <laughs> Was there a question about that? I'm sorry. Nope. I'm intelligent. I got my glasses on. Oh, Lord. Do you, do you mean a subject matter expert or do you mean? The person should know. It shouldn't just be a random psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor. Okay, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. So when you say that professional, person, you're saying a counselor, a psychiatrist, somebody like that, or are you saying like a subject matter expert like the sheriff's department if it's associated with them, or the fire department if it's associated with them, or hey, 911 dispatcher, why did you do this instead of that? So is it more of a subject matter expert, or is it a professional of site? I think, it's, for mental mental health. I think it's combined. It's, combined. it's, a, it's a mental health it specialist should. that has the area of expertise within fire, EMS, law, dispatch. Spend time in each mm -hmm. that, like you're putting a group together for a response mm -hmm. for these situations. So that person should spend time with yes. EMS, mm -hmm. so many hours, should spend time with fire department should spend eight hours at least, and that's putting it mildly, at a 911 center. Spend time with the sheriff's department. So, so I kind of feel like that's where SCARS is, is that's the brainchild of SCARS, of to, yeah. to yeah. be able to, to do that, and to, to help, uh, to be that professional in a sense. But at the same time, I look at, I personally, me, look at debriefings as, to your point, what you get, what you do wrong? I don't like that. That's that's you're instantly negative. Right. What you do right? What would you do right, and what can you do better? You know, we can all get better, and and it's when you focus on negative, you look at negative, you look at yourself negative with, with this negativity, and it's don't do that, brother. Don't because that's you're you're setting yourself up. You're you're preparing. You're you're planning to fail. Yeah, that's what that is. And you're you're, you're young in fail. your career, and you're already planning that. Yeah, I, I've I've done something wrong, and that's that's definitely. There's always just room to, what can I do better next time? But I also think that, that a lot of that falls on training as well, mm -hmm. because if you if you come at it from the aspect of from the training side of it, we were never told in EMT class and paramedic class and EMR class, whatever, we were never told about what a debrief looks like. We were never told about a hot wash. We were never told about a CISD. And if we did, it was a paragraph. We were never told about a mental health, you know, mental health crisis that we were going to be in. 
So we had to, some of us had to learn through just years and years and years of experience. Because until that point, it was leave it at work. Right. Correct. And, and but now we're we're four years into this mental health push at least, with it with the highlight year being 2020, 2021, and it's still not talked about in your EMS books, and it's still not talked about about how you're gonna feel when you have your first poor outcome, because I can sympathize with you and say that I'm the first person that wants to go to blame as well. I want to find out where I screwed up because I, because when you're when you're when you go to medic class, anybody in here that's been through medic class, that's who we are as providers, that's right? But it, but but we don't this. we don't fail medic class. No. <laughs> you say well, if you do your algorithms right, your patient lives, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say I would say there's about an 80-20 yep. rule. I, I right. checked all the boxes on the National Registry for him. Why didn't this patient live? Right. But I mean, but uh, there's about an 80-20 rule in paramedic class that says you go down through your algorithm, algorithm right, your patient's going to live. Well, then you go out to the field and you go down to your algorithm right, and there's less than 5%, I would even go to say, right. that is never going to regain and start all over again. So I sympathize with you there. But I also think a lot of it has to do with the training of which we provide our people because we don't, we, we don't tell them, like, w- there was never a time in paramedic class that I went through all of it and my patient still died. If, if, I aced, if I went down the algorithm without a hiccup, my patient always, my God, it came back to life. It was also a mannequin. <laughs> but guess what? The first time I did it in the field and the guy died, I was like, but I, but I pushed Epi every three to five minutes. They don't prepare you for when those drugs don't work. Right. Like, I don't know how many times I've used adenosine and it never works. <laughs> but I mean, but, but that's the thing. And no pushing fast enough. But you're exactly correct <laughs> that we're never prepared for that outcome. Another thing they don't take, they don't prepare you for is when you're going, uh, you know, you're trying to save a family member. That. Yeah. Your own time. Your own family member. You mean? Yeah, that's that's why yeah. I do that. Two and twenty-four hours. Two and twenty-four hours. That, that's wow. something. But I mean, it's also, but like from a from even from a coworker standpoint, go yeah. off of that. Yeah. From a coworker standpoint. Yeah. And and you know somebody that, you know, somebody that, you work a truck with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can, I, I, pray to God I never have to go through that. Like that's that's horrible to me, but it's also the same sense of, you know, it's it's only a matter of time till you work a coworker. Whether or not it be fire, EMS, law enforcement, dispatch, it's not like we all have the best of health or best of you know health I habits. Mean. But I mean, but that's the thing. Like I mean, I mean, it's it's only a matter of time before this happens to you. I'm a pillar of health. You're a pillar. That's all I heard. Well, well, this episode's over. <laughs> I don't ever. Nobody ever wants to see this again. <laughs> Ladies and pillar, gentlemen, thank you very much. <laughs> We're pillar, so sorry. Pillar getting fed well. We should, I'm going to have to go back and censor that out. Now. Might have to. <laughs> Might have to. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys for uh, coming and joining us tonight. I, I know that um, um, I, I know that you guys don't often get to come to our shows, and we we say that a lot that we want to be out in the public more and out in the community. It means a lot, and I'm only going to speak for myself. I'll let these two two gentlemen speak for themselves. But it warmed my heart to be able to watch people walk through the door. I, I pour out my heart to you. I thank you for opening this building to us. 
um, and just letting us come in and, and basically take over. And I asked you where things were nine million times, and you turned around and you had them in your hand. So yeah. thank you for everything. We're always here. I greatly appreciate that. For, for those in the local area, you know, definitely check this place out. Um, our first responder friends um, and most of the folks that were here tonight signed up for a first responder membership. It's it's nice. It's quiet. It's a, a easy crowd to get along with. Forty dollars a year, and you don't have to put up with all the downtown type BS. But it's a, it'd be well worth you know and, and uh, have open, a place of camaraderie. It's open to uh, first responders, first responder, military veterans, canteen memberships, um, and then of course your VFW, your VFW, your auxiliary memberships as well. What's a canteen membership? Not the VFW. It's someone who's never served in the military and someone who's not a first responder. It could just be a Know somebody that lives in the neighborhood. A lay, a lay person that just wants to give back. Yeah. Matt said, "Quick, click in the pen." Sorry, Matt. I was waiting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, you guys have um, anything for? Hey, one thing. Jason, correct me if I'm wrong. This is most up to date. Uh, Veterans Crisis Line. Dial nine eight eight and then press one. No, that's the, the suicide hotline for suicide anybody. Hotline. Nationwide. Nationwide. For every suicide hotline. Yeah. Okay, it says Veterans Crisis Line. I think this is. Yeah. I think this is good stuff. Nine, eight, you know, eight. we need to get it out there and, and crush the the stigma. Yeah. Uh, dial nine eight eight and then press one. So that's all I have. It was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun coming up. Yeah. And, and that is. The and I was shocked too because I like, when we pulled in, I didn't know the upstairs was rented, so the parking lot was filled. I know. I was like, oh, yeah. oh my it's god. Like, oh boy. What is going yeah. on? You screwed me because you answered him so quick. I wanted to be like, they're all here for us, man. <laughs> <laughs> he he had to turn around and went home. He was like, the coffee can't, tonight. Can't, can't do well. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll be with you back, or we'll we'll be, we'll be back with you in about uh, two weeks or so. If you guys have any uh, uh, comments, suggestions for upcoming shows, make sure you reach out to us. Uh, ScarsFRServices at gmail.com is our uh, email address. Connect with us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, we are we're going to make our first TikTok. I got I got some pictures tonight. Uh, none of us have ever done it before. Uh, I'm gonna get my 12 year old daughter to help me with it because um, <laughs> she'll rock it out of the park. Um, so uh, follow us on all the social media platforms. Give us some uh, suggestions for future shows if you have them, uh, or even if you have a place that we can come to and you'd like to see us there. I know there's several people that want us to come up, uh, come up to the PA area. Uh, mm -hmm. Down in the Randolph Elkins area, they want uh, they want us over there. So and everyone's welcome to the barn. Right. I prefer people come to the barn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lazy. Ass. We're gonna have we're gonna have to, the next three shows are gonna have to be at the barn because of Dodd Hill thing. Yeah, we'll do one in three Jeez. rotation. I like it. There you go. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, I like that. Does it have cell service? Well, Does it have cell service? It's got everything. Oh, I'm sold. Got <laughs> we just need we glamping. <laughs> I'm sold on that. All right, guys. Until next time, thank you very much. Take care of yourselves and take care of others. For joining us for another empowering episode of the Resilient Responder, brought to you by First Responder Coaching. If you found strength in our stories, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Spotify and Amazon Music. Connect with us on Facebook at Scars Inc. and catch exclusive content on our YouTube channel at Scars FR Services. Remember, your resilience is a beacon of hope.
keep rising, stay resilient, and until next time, take care of yourself and each other.